Please stand with me for the reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John has taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And when he said to them, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. This door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You may be seated. How do you pray? And who taught you to pray? At OAC, we come from so many different cultural backgrounds and so many different church traditions that I'm sure everyone here could answer that question a bit differently. In the Protestant non-denominational churches that I was raised in as a kid, you really weren't supposed to have a way of praying. There was no method. Prayer was always supposed to be spontaneous, from the heart, founded in the firmness of your belief, and expressing your heartfelt longing to bring your desires before God. I remember a moment when I was probably 14. My dad and I had traveled to Michigan to visit his family, all nice Dutch Christian Reformed folks. And we all sat down around the table for Sunday dinner and everyone started to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I was shocked to realize that they had all memorized it, and a bit embarrassed that I hadn't memorized it, or even thought about memorizing it. The only sermons I had heard on the Lord's Prayer made it seem like a nice example of prayer, not a method. Actually, memorizing prayers and reciting them, or using tools for prayer like beads or candles or icons, or pilgrimage would all have fallen somewhere between legalism and idolatry in my 14-year-old brain. My life of prayer has changed a great deal since then. There are so many meaningful ways of praying in the Christian tradition, and because I need all the help I can get when I pray, I'm eager to learn all of them. Jesus' disciples grew up in a context very, very different from the one I just described. 
They had ways of praying. They had prayers that they knew and recited. They had postures of prayer, places to pray at home, at the synagogue, at the temple. When Jesus talks about prayer in this context, he's engaging people who have inherited ancient practices, and he's speaking into those practices to enrich and reform them. And it seems that John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin, also had ways of praying that he taught his disciples. Jesus' disciples saw this and wanted something similar. They wanted to know the Jesus way to pray. And who wouldn't? The man talks about God as if he were family. He heals the sick, demons flee from him, the wind and the waves obey him. He commands things to be done from afar and they happen. Whatever that guy is doing when he prays, I want to learn that method. One of the things I have learned in the many years since that Sunday lunch is that prayer itself is what is sometimes called a formative practice. It's something that you do that changes you as you do it. When we pray, we develop patterns for how we bring our needs and desires to God, patterns for how we think about our own lives, patterns for living based on what we want to see in the world. When we come before God to ask him for what we want or need, or to confess our weaknesses, or to thank him for his care for us, or to praise him, we learn to see our daily lives as daily life lived with God. But prayer is not only about us or what we need or want. It's also about what God wants for us and for his world. When we pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, we learn to want what God wants for the world, and our desires are transformed in the process. One of the lovely things about the prayer Jesus gives here is that in a few very brief lines, it intertwines our concerns and God's concerns, giving them both room and allowing them to meld. We can learn to desire things we might forget otherwise by praying for them. And we are reminded that God cares for the things that trouble us as well. We pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And from the first line, we are called out of dwelling on what confronts us in the world into seeking the glory of God and the goodness of his kingdom. And then we continue by praying, give us each day our daily bread. And we have space to share our needs with God. Our ordinary, everyday, biological, emotional, psychological, relational needs. And we go back and forth like this through the whole prayer. We say, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And in doing so, we both ask for God's mercy towards us and agree to reflect his unending mercy to others. Our need to be made whole before God and God's desire for our relationships with others to be healed come in the same breath. And we end asking God 
to keep us walking in his way throughout our day when we pray, lead us not into temptation. This prayer is short by any standard. Luke's version, which we just read, is shorter even than Matthew's version. And even Matthew's prayer is not long compared to any others like it. But in the span of a few breaths, we have a moment to align ourselves and our hearts with God and ask him to turn his ear towards us as well. I think if the only miracle prayer accomplished was the transformative effect it had on us, that would be a good enough reason to go on doing it. But once Jesus has given this short prayer, he continues on to make some pretty grand claims about the actual tangible impact of prayer on the world. He says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. That's a pretty radical claim to make if we take it seriously. Everyone who asks receives? Really? The skeptic in me was very happy just a moment ago to focus on prayer as an important spiritual discipline. I was very safe there. But this claim that Jesus is making requires me to actually have faith of some kind that the God that I am praying to, and not only the faith, not only have faith in the virtue of the words or faith in my ability to become better. Saying that everyone who asks also receives butts up against my experience, my awareness of suffering in the world, my secularized notions of the universe, and on and on it goes. I have so many reasons to try to qualify, limit, or dismiss the claim that everyone who asks receives. And I don't think Jesus is ignorant of how grand a claim he is making or how hard it can be to believe it because he sets it between these two stories that illustrate the problem for us. The first is the story about this sleeping friend. He says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. In this story, the person doing the asking is in trouble. Hospitality is a central social virtue, and he is risking real personal shame if he cannot offer anything to the one who has traveled to see him. So he goes next door and knocks and asks to borrow some bread. The historical context and the passage suggest that the house here is a one room where the whole family is nestled down together. He is waking up the whole family by coming over this way. I imagine on the walk over, he's questioning the wisdom of this decision. What will I do if he doesn't answer? How will I feed my guest if he refuses? 
or if he also has nothing to spare? Why should my neighbor even care about my situation? But he's making a bet. He's playing on the probabilities. He thinks, I'm pretty sure my neighbor will be able to help me. I'm pretty sure he has what I need. And I'm also at least mostly confident that he will be merciful towards me. At least, I can't be any worse off for asking. In the end, he receives what he asked for, not because his friend was so generous or so happy about having his whole family woken up in the middle of the night, but because of his impudence, his gumption, his sheer nerve in asking. His bet paid off. So that's the first story. The second is radically different. He says, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks him for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is still a story about asking for food. But what is different is the relationship between the one asking and the one giving. In the first story, Jesus highlights the gumption of the one asking. And in this one, the goodness of the one giving. But this is not a story about an annoying neighbor. It's a story about a child and a parent. And children do not have to place bets on whether it's worth it to ask their parents to take care of them. Unless it's a deeply abusive situation, which, of course, happens all the time, far more often than we want to say. Generally, children do not have to deliberate about asking for their parents' care, because that's what their parents are there for. Even parents who are bad parents in most respects generally still want their kids to survive. When children in loving and functional homes ask their parents for food, they assume of course, if I ask, my parent will answer. Of course, they will care that I'm hungry. What children do not always understand, but learn to accept eventually, or try to get their heads around every day, is that their parents will only give them good things, but will withhold dangerous things. You want fish to eat? Yes, of course. You want a pet viper? Not a chance. You want an egg because you're hungry. Here you go. You want to put a scorpion in your mouth. Um, nope. That is a solid no. And between these two stories, Jesus sets up a sort of spectrum of faith that I can relate to. And I think most of us can. In the first story, he argues that praying must be at least as solid a plan as bothering your neighbors. Even if God doesn't care about you or what you have to say. Even if he isn't real or isn't capable of doing anything. You can't be any worse off by asking. You may as well wager that it's worth it to try. And in the second story, he argues that if we will pray to God as Father, as we do in the prayer he taught, 
we should assume he is at least a mediocre father, and probably a good one. And if a child has at least a mediocre parent, they approach them with complete assurance. Most of the time, my approach to God, and I'm assuming yours as well, falls somewhere in the middle of this spectrum, somewhere between wagering and assurance. I think we are prone to ask whether our prayers make any difference, and we think of the answer in terms of measurable results. What can my prayers really accomplish? Is it worth it to try? Can the suffering of the Ukrainian people actually be lessened by my prayers? Can I actually be sure I will, help, I will have a job in six months by praying hard enough? Will my prayers actually do anything to help me or the world? I have definitely been a part of faith communities where the answer to that depended on your belief. You just had to believe your prayers make a difference. You just have to be bold and know with complete assurance that God does hear you. And then your prayers will work. It's not a great understanding of faith. It's more like a very boring approach to magic. When Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, he set their focus not on results, but on how they understood the God they were praying to. He used these social stories to set up a wide spectrum of faith with praying because it can't hurt on one end and praying with complete childlike assurance on the other. Right in the middle, he sets this audacious command. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. I said earlier that prayer is a formative experience, and that's true. If you pray the prayer that the Lord taught every day, over and over through your life, it will change you for the better. You will become more mindful of what this loving Father Jesus talks about might want for the world. You will become less anxious about your daily needs. You will remember to be merciful to those who wrong you. It's yoga for your soul that keeps you healthy and builds you up. That is already a holy and meaningful result. That's also what I remind myself of on days that I'm placing bets on whether there is any point in my praying. I may as well, because I know that it's good for me. And when I'm healthier, so are the people around me. And that's a kind of faith. You can pray that way. It still counts. But there are also days that I actually do manage to pray at least one little prayer, knowing that I am heard by a parent who is able 
and willing to help me. And I find the more I show up and try, the more I pray the Jesus way, the more of those days I have. And the more of those days I have, the better I am at recognizing when something happens that is an answer to my prayer. The prayer transforms me and opens me up to find that I'm believing that those who seek do receive, that those who seek do find, and that to those who knock the door actually is opened. So wherever you are on the spectrum of faith today, I invite you to indulge me in practicing this prayer in a certain meditative way for a minute. You'll need to gather a few things, so close your eyes. First, I want you to reach into yourself and pull out one of your worries for the broken world that we live in. Hold it in your hands like a ball. Next, find something from your own life that you need today. It can be physical, emotional, or whatever, and try to hold on to that too. Now reach into the back of your mind and try to remember the last thing you did that you regret, that you knew was not how Jesus would have handled the situation. Take it out and hold on to it. Finally, find a little bit of anger or resentment, some scrap of something that was done to you. Your arms should be pretty full by now. In your mind, bend down and put all the balls down on the floor in front of you. Now this last part is the expert level. If you can, imagine a loving parent who is more than happy to pick these things up for you. Now pray with me. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Amen. So let us stand up and together receive the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you and into the reality of your lives. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that he is gracious to you and that the Lord may give you of his peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the world, and serve the Lord, and serve each other joyfully. Amen.